0: I'd love to wish you a happy Monday. But I understand that for many of you, and me, in various places across Canada, it's not that happy a Monday. And I could begin this week by interviewing doctors and scientists and reporters about COVID-19, but I don't know that that would help you now either. What I can do though is tell you a story that reminds you that the universe is bigger and more mysterious. it feels sometimes. That even in the middle of a crisis of historical proportions, science has never stopped discovering new things. Yes, the vaccines that were developed more quickly than any vaccine in history are one example, and so is the fact that for decades we have based our understanding of physics on something called the standard model. And now we're finding out that it doesn't explain everything the way we thought it did. And if that's true, then that means there are other things out there that we don't understand, but are a critical part of how our universe works. It means there's more to discover, more to find, more to look forward to, even if it doesn't feel like that right now. So I hope that reminder helps. And also, strap on your science helmets But not to talk about a deadly virus. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Dennis Overby is a science reporter at The New York Times. Hello, Dennis. Uh, Hello, Jordan. Nice to be here. Thank you so much. And maybe to start, you can answer uh, the question for me is, is what is a muon? And did I even pronounce that correctly, if that gives you some level of, of what I'm working with here?
1: Right, so it's called a muon, um, after the Greek letter mu. Uh, Hardly anybody knows what a muon is, except for a few physicists. Um, It's kind of like an electron. So we know about electrons and protons. Mm -hmm. Those those are what you find in atoms. The muon was discovered in 1936 in a cosmic ray shower, and nobody knew what to do with it. In fact, there's a famous story about uh, Isidore Rabi, who was a Nobel laureate, physicist at Columbia said, who ordered that? Hmm. People are still trying to figure out
0: where does the muon fit into the the plan of creation. So what did we just learn about them, uh, you know, 80 or so years after their initial discovery? Uh, What happened last week for for want of a better question? Well, so what happened last week um, is, let me step back
1: and give you a broader picture. Perfect. There's a theory that's reigned in physics for the last almost 50 years called the standard model. And it describes everything physicists can know and measure about the universe, at least in a laboratory like at CERN. It describes the universe is made up of 17 fundamental kinds of particles and all the forces and interactions between them. And it works so well that physicists have not been able to find any violation of this Model for nearly fifty years, which is very upsetting because this model is a is a mathematical uh, miracle, but it doesn't explain a whole bunch of things that people would like to know about the universe, like what happens at the center of a black hole, or uh, what's the dark matter that is more weighty in the universe than the ordinary matter that we're made of, or even why. There's matter in the universe instead of nothing at all. These are big questions that the standard model doesn't approach for all its magnificence. Mm -hmm. So what they found, they verified last week, was that when you put this muon in a magnetic field and spin it around, it just spins a little bit faster than the predictions of this standard model. And these predictions are incredibly precise because the... the, uh, Deviation from theory doesn't happen until about the seventh or eighth decimal place. Mm. Um, that's, That's how intricately physics works these days, and we're glad it does because otherwise our computers wouldn't work. Most of what we rely on to get through the day wouldn't work. So this little telltale discrepancy is maybe daylight to some new news about the universe that physicists haven't been able to. To get into yet, so they're very excited, but it's it's not quite there yet. It could still be a fluke, but right now it looks like there is this discrepancy, and if it grows over the next few years, then they'll be able to say, "Yeah, there's something more than the standard model, something more than these seventeen particles that we've been stuck with
0: for the last fifty years." New news about the universe. What does it mean, um, and what happens? When the standard model gets upended, you know, to your point, we rely on this to build all sorts of things. And now it's not entirely accurate if this is true.
1: Right. There's something,
0: what it says
1: is that there's something missing in the the kind of roster of potential particles that can exist in the universe. Believe it or not, probably a hundred papers have been published in the last week by theorists. Really? Suggesting explanations. Yes, they're the last thing i saw a couple of days ago was that like you know 50 papers had been published but so the first thing they have to do is that they're they st- started this experiment in 2018 and they've re- reported on six percent of the data that they expect to eventually get that was their first run now they're on their they're completing the fourth or fifth run of this ex- experiment so in another year or two they'll have much better statistics and they'll be able to say yeah there really is a discrepancy here or it's just a mistake and in the meantime all the particle theorists are going crazy and they're trying to devise so this are there different ways of looking at data from the Large Hadron Collider for example in which some of these particles might have shown up but unless you know exactly what to look for in these data streams which are petabytes trillions and trillions of bits of information it, it can be hard to find. Something,
0: assuming the data proves out and it's not a mistake, how would scientists then go about finding what that discrepancy is, like what that missing particle could be?
1: Well, there is there are lots of competing ideas, and uh, some of them can be tested at the Large Hadron Collider. They might find these uh, new proposed particles in data they already have if they look through it the right way. And the collider is supposed to has been basically on vacation for the last two years, and it's starting up again a year from now um, with more more intensity. And so there will be more, much more data coming from the Large Hadron Collider. There's also experiments with uh, particles called neutrinos, which are part of this, ROST, this standard model roster, funny little lightweight particles. And there, some of these explanations involve... Uh, other particles that might decay into these neutrinos and might have affected the expansion of the universe during the Big Bang. So astronomers are very excited about that. And it's going to be a a real sort of a marketplace of ideas. You know, who knows what it could, if this is a little thread that you tug on and, and, you know, some of these great mysteries unravel, nobody really knows that yet. But they're hopeful that like some mystery will unravel, that we're not at the end of the road. It'll certainly give a boost to uh, people who want to build bigger colliders. I mean right now the Large Hadron Collider uh, outside Geneva is the biggest uh, it's the biggest machine in the world basically it's 17 miles around and bangs together protons at the speed of light but there are people that want to be a much bigger collider uh, 60 or 70 miles around and they would bang protons together with 10 times as much energy as they're getting now. And that, that could lead to the new discovery of new particles, but it's, you know, it's another ten billion million or
0: more, you know. But if this particle exists and the standard model uh, does not account for it, does that mean, and again, I'm not, you know, trying to go on flights of fancy or anything, but Presumably, that brings up the possibility that there might be many other particles or many other things that we're missing. Exactly. We probably are missing many. These things
1: start out simple. Like, well, what's the particle that does so-and-so? And And then they find out, well, there's actually a whole family of particles. Just like there's not just the electron. The electron has a cousin called the muon. The muon has an even heavier cousin called the tau. Um, So things just get more and more complicated the more you look at them. And right now, both physicists and astronomers are obsessed with dark matter, which occupies about 25% of the universe by weight, and it's invisible, and we don't know what it is. But we all, we know that it's not ordinary matter, and we can't see it, but it affects the shapes of galaxies and the the large-scale structure of the cosmos. And people have been presuming... Oh, so there's this particle that you know, we can't see, but there are lots of theories out there that would produce such particles. But there's people saying, well, why, you know, why should we assume there's just one particle? I mean, look at the luminous universe. I mean, we've got mm-hmm. dozens of particles. We've got living creatures. You know, I mean, the dark, the dark side, as they call it, is,
0: you know, is bigger than the light side. So who knows what can be going on there? This is what gets me um about stories like these and why I'm so fascinated with them and why we wanted to talk to you. It's just you know on on the one hand we keep coming up with models like the standard model that stand for for decades um and then one tiny little fluctuation pops up and all of a sudden we're like ah oh, we might not know anything. And um I, I guess I just I, I always wonder how far we are away from being able to figure out just how much we don't know if that makes sense and how we'd even determine that. I think, well, I'm a great apostle of what I call cosmic
1: ignorance because I don't think we know very much about the universe at all. We're just still blindly, uh, bumbling along. And, uh, what we know is interesting. Um, and we know how to do a lot, but who knows what's, what else is out there that we, we don't know. Um, There have been various times in the history of science when people thought, yeah, we know it all. Just have to measure things to the decimal point or something. Like, that was a common theme around 1900. But then what happened then? Well, this German named Max Planck tried to calculate how heated bodies radiate, and he couldn't do it. I mean, he he had to add a little factoid that he didn't understand to his calculations and that became quantum theory Hmm. so there are these times when we think oh we almost got it and we actually find out we don't know anything because there's some little thing that just doesn't fit someplace and and some very persistent person comes along and says well i'm going to take i'm going to pay attention to this i'm not going to sweep it under the rug and and all this amazing stuff comes out. So I, I don't think we're anywhere near the end of that. And I think, I don't know. The other thought I was going to have is that you know it would be a very interesting universe if we could have figured it all out in a couple thousand
0: years. Right. Give the cosmos some respect, you know. <laughs> When you talk to people um, in the scientific community about this discovery, you know, and and you mentioned earlier that the standard model uh, allows us to make the computers and the technology that we have. If we did find another particle or even more particles down the road, what kinds of stuff could that make possible? You know, I'm not obviously asking for specifics because we don't even know what those particles are, but how. How has our ability uh, to create advanced technology changed as we've figured out more and more uh, of particle theory and and physics?
1: Yeah, It's certainly true that in the last 30, 40 years, the building of giant particle accelerators and colliders has acquired technology that then spread into the medical community. And I mean, we have all kinds of things now, MRI machines and PET scans and... uh, that we wouldn't, that we didn't have, and all these are kind of a, a byproduct of of high energy physics research because they're pushing. I mean, they're always pushing the limits of technology to build giant magnets for their colliders or more and more sensitive and novel detectors. I'd be just as happy if it didn't uh, spill out in the forms of s- some kind of new weapon because I think we've got we're as weaponized as we can be already. Yeah, it's probably. Not likely, but uh, better computers, quantum computers, for example. Hmm.
0: And the people um, who are more skeptical uh, about this news, um, just to close with, when they say they're skeptical, what do they think that we're missing or not missing?
1: Okay, so there's a there's a measure that scientists use uh, that use to kind of estimate how true their results might be. It goes in sort of terms of what, what are the chances that something you did was just a fluke. So the gold standard for a physics experiment is that it has to, to be three parts in 10 million. That is, if you did this experiment 10 million times, you'd get this answer three times. That's, people think that's probably pretty unlikely. So this experiment that we just talked about, it's a, something called four sigma. So there's one chance in 40,000 that it's wrong. That might sound pretty good, um, but it's not good enough because scientists have seen—I've seen in my career—signals that were this strong. That then, with more data, they went away. So people and I've and I've heard from people in the last few days. But you know that they're saying, "Yeah, this will go away too." You know, they're not ready to. Hmm. Not everybody's ready to sign on. Scientists are paid to doubt and be skeptical and to criticize each other and argue with each other. So so that's going on on both sides now. So it'll be a fun ride, and who knows what's at the other end. It's good to have uh, some
0: mystery in the world. It's the most important thing you need, mystery. Thank you so much, Dennis, for explaining this to me. I feel like I really understand it a lot better now. Well, thank you. It was fun to be here. Dennis Overby, a science reporter at The New York Times. That was The Big Story for more from us. Yes, we will have lots more COVID, I am sure, and I can't wait until we don't. But you can find it all at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can find us, as always, in your favorite podcast player, Apple or Stitcher or Google or Spotify. You can ask your favorite personal assistant device to play The Big Story podcast. We've made sure those work for you. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.